0: If we are still not able to clearly see that a Muslim is a Muslim first, then you will keep repeating the mistakes which Bose made, Gandhi made, even political leaders of today make. We need to be absolutely clear and it is not a derogatory statement to make against uh, Muslims. It is not um, Islamophobic or anything like that. For Muslims, Islam is the first loyalty. Unfortunately, we in our uh, outdated model, outdated frame of reference of nationalism, do not realize that frame of thinking of Muslims is different. They are a civilizational citizen of Islam. They be in India, they be in Pakistan, they be in Turkey, they be in Europe. They are civilizational citizens of Islamic civilization. Namaste and uh, thank you for joining me today on this talk, Jihadis of INA or Ajad Hind Forge. So, Netaji Subhashchandra Bose and in particular, INA, the Ajad Hind Forge, they have been subjects of much inspirational, heroic, almost beyond life proportions in the Indian psyche for obvious reasons. They, on one hand, stand for that valour, that bravery, that untiring patriotism that never was subdued In a way, it was rekindling of the flame which was lit in the 1857 War of Independence. In a way, I.N.A. was simply a continuation, continuity of that spirit. And on the other hand, I.N.A. also gave a renewed channel after 1942, if we study the history of the independence movement the independence movement was almost done. There was nothing left after Quit India Movement of 1942, to paraphrase uh, Professor R.C. Majumdar. And therefore, INA provided for the entire Indian nation that renewed channel, that energy uh, which um, um, had no other means of fighting for independence got attached to I.N.A. And then there is another reason why I.N.A. and Ajat fauj uh, remain subjects of much uh, myth-making. On this point, little bit more deliberately, it is the secular history writing project. So, uh, the I.N.A. story in the n- mainstream narratives, which we often hear about both in textbooks and in popular um, literature. It creates um, kind of a make-believe that at least one place in our independence movement in the Indian history, we have where Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs, everybody marched arm in arm with the camaraderie for one common goal of liberating the Mother India. So, that secular um, ideal, that secular uh, dream almost seems to be coming true in the image of I.N.A. It is perhaps because of these reasons that it is a difficult task for us to broach perhaps some unpalatable, uncomforting questions. It is also perhaps However, important for us to scratch the surface little bit and look at the details no matter how uncomforting or unpalatable they may be. And that difficult task uh, is the subject for today. Today, we are going to look at some uncomfortable facts about Indian National Army, INA or Azad Hind Forge. Our purpose is not criticizing the revered great leaders or personalities involved. It is to learn some lessons from the energies and from the uh, dynamics of the time that was going on because perhaps by looking at it without any colored glasses, we may be able to gain some insights about even our present. So, with that, we are all pretty familiar with how Um, having won the second term in the Congress party as president, Nitaji Subhash Chandra Bose was forced to resign from the post of uh, uh, the head of Congress. That election, the second term that he won, we all also familiar, was a bitterly fought within Congress party. He won by defeating declared Gandhi candidate, he won with a handsome margin and it almost polarized Congress party. Then uh, moving quickly forward, he had to leave Congress, he had to recreate his politics in Bengal, uh, he created forward block, started um, doing various activities um, uh, of, of uh, creating a separate pillar. Uh, almost uh, left wing pillar uh, of the Congress, etc. And then, uh, fast forward, the heroic escape of Bose from his uh, house arrest in which uh, he escaped um, by disguising himself to first Afghanistan, he reached Kabul and eventually he reached uh, Germany. That all um, is um, that glorious story is pretty familiar and pretty inspiring to all of us. But even before both reached Germany, Europe, particularly the um, Berlin and um, Rome, Fazi and uh, Nazi powers, they were already allied with global pan Islamists for a while. So, when both arrived in Germany, Europe was a bastion of most of these pan-Islamists who were cultivated cautiously by Nazis and Fasis to create trouble, first of all, against British. And in their estimation, uh, Muslims of um, both Arab and uh, as India as well had enough power, enough gumption to be able to divert much energy of the British in the war around the Second World War. So, that was the calculation. And as a result, we see that in Germany, uh, there were many such uh, very, very prominent Islamists from all over the world from many countries who were gathered, such as Amin al-Husseini, who was called Mufti of Jerusalem, also, also called uh, often Hitler's Mufti Some time back. Um, few years back the prime minister of israel the then prime minister uh, benjamin netanyahu in a speech he he mentioned this amin al uh, husseini as the person who perhaps gave the idea to hitler that instead of removing jews physically from germany and other countries that uh, nazis had won To actually exterminate them, annihilate them. So this was Benjamin Netanyahu's um, estimation of uh, Amin al-Husseini. We don't want to go too far into that, but suffices to say that al-Husseini, the mufti of um, uh, Jerusalem, was a pretty influential international Muslim leader, and just. Like a couple of decades back around the World War I, there was a kind of interest and energy within the Muslim world for uh, Khilafat to be um, protected. Around World War II, there was still uh, something similar uh, that was happening and Al-Husaini uh, had more or less been the linchpin, the leader of that uh, movement across countries. So, he would go to Lebanon, Syria, uh, Iraq, Iran, many countries in Europe, Serbia, Turkey and he would kind of try to create that international uh, Islamist movement, um, renewing it from where they had left a couple of decades back. It is also uh, this person, Al Husseini, who it must be mentioned, who was the inspiration in uh, raising the Bosnian battalions. It was these Bosnian battalions that massacred Serbs, a very um, dark history in in the uh, Second World War especially done on the uh, non-Muslims by these Muslim fanatics. Another personality who was living in Germany as Bos arrived was Rashid Ali al-Gilani, the ex-Prime Minister of Iraq, whose credit it was to have um, led the so called Farhud program of uh, Iraq. This Farhud program um, was a mass killing of Jews, um, almost like a riot um, in Iraq. And this person was supported, was in uh, Germany, and both had to meet both Al Husseini and Al Jilani uh, frequently, dine with them, impress them with his plans, etc. Shah Amanullah, another personality worth mentioning. He was the dethroned Sultan of uh, Afghanistan. Interestingly, it was this person, Shah Amanullah, whom the Ali brothers had a couple of decades back uh, in the 1918-1919, around that time frame, had appealed to to invade India. He was the Sultan of uh, Afghanistan. So, this Shah Amanullah uh, was exiled. He was living in Uh, Europe in Germany at this time. Sheikh Arslan, another very important uh, personality of the time, uh, who was from uh, Lebanon, a very staunch um, international pan-Islamist. Again, those are some examples uh, to show how Nazi and Fatsi um, powers were cultivating these jihad elements, these Islamists um, as a strategic tool, perhaps also tactical tool, against the British in their uh, Second World War efforts. And Bose, even before he made an entry um, in, in the picture in the German calculations, there were many Indian Jihadists who were there in Germany as well, Germany and uh, Italy. So, for example, uh, Fakir of E.P., the so-called Fakir of E.P. of uh, Waziristan. Inayatullah Khan Al Mashriki of Punjab, they were um, receiving much support from Nazis already before Bose reached uh, Germany. The, uh, the later um, Inayatullah Khan Al Mashriki, he founded Khaksar movement, and Inayatullah Khan Mashriki was interestingly the first ever Indian, prominent Indian at least, who Hitler had ever met way back, almost two decades before uh, Bose met Hitler, it was Mashriki who had met Hitler in 1926. And it seems that uh, Hitler and Mashriki had uh, stayed in contact even after that and uh, it was Mashriki who, at least from his perspective, he writes in his biography, etc., that um, he impressed upon Hitler about the Muslims of India and so on and so forth. Anyways, um, what is interesting here before I move to the next part is a couple of things. One, RSS is much defamed by the leftist narratives as someone who was um, much impressed and much uh, admiring, much impressed by and much admiring the Hitler and Nazis. Whereas, we see in reality these international Islamists, Jihadis were actual collaborators of Hitler and uh, Nazis. In comparison to the so-called alleged um, RSS inspiration from Nazis, here you see actual operational strategic collaboration and yet in the narrative Nazi collaboration with Islam is hardly a topic that is discussed. Just like Nazi collaboration with church and the Pope is hardly discussed. This asymmetry is, uh, however, something very important for us to remind ourselves. That is why I mentioned it. So, Bose, when he appeared um, in in, uh, this uh, whole Uh, creation of INA Azad Hind, we should remember that he was not the founder of either INA or Azad Hind. It is a misconception that he founded Azad Hind Forge. He he did not, nor did he found INA. So, there was another Indian Islamist named Iqbal Shaidai from Sialkot, Punjab, uh, now in Pakistan, who was uh, for many years before Bose living in Europe. He was um, chosen, very influential, he was chosen to be in the uh, circle of influence uh, of uh, Mussolini. He would often meet with close relatives, including his younger brother of Mussolini. And he was running um, something like an India center in Milan and then in Rome. He would meet even the Nazi uh, officials, um, etc., and he was running this organization called Azad Hindustan, including a radio uh, channel which was funded for him by the Fatsis. Um, this organization Azad Hind already existed. Uh, it was run by Shedai. and Shadai uh, had this organization uh, completely operating as Uh, the project of Islam. All the officials, activists, workers were um, Muslims, most of them very fanatical. Now, Bose had to, in a way, compete with Shadai. So, um, Shadai was in Italy, Bose was in Germany. Bose had to learn all these operations, all these, um, especially uh, even in the radio. Um, that um, Bose established later, he took technical help, operational help uh, from from Shedai. So this Ajad Hind radio um, that that we had um, that used to be aired to India and Indians would uh, uh, listen in to the uh, speeches of Bose on Ajad Hind radio at least uh, twice a week. All of that operation came from Ajad Hindustan of Shedai. Another thing which Shedai was already doing was the prisoners of wars that uh, were captured by the um, uh, Germans and uh, Italians in North Africa, in Turkey, in uh, other theatres of uh, war, those prisoners of war would be um, camped uh, in in the uh, outskirts of Germany. And Shedai or Ajad Hindustan activists, they would try to convince these prisoners of war to desert uh, and join the uh, rebel army, independent army. So, they would lure them with with salary and pension offers. They would also try to inspire them uh, to fight for uh, India. In case of Shidai, it was more about fighting for establishing Islamic rule in India because if you, if you go through the records of uh, that Ajad Hindustan, you would see that um, the rhetoric was more aligned towards uh, pan-Islamist movement rather than liberation of India. Now, Shadai, this personality is uh, much admired in Pakistan. I one, uh, although its digression, would like to mention that later, after independence, interestingly, Maulana Abul Kalam Azad, the then education minister of India, went to Rome and met this person Iqbal Shadai, not only that offered him a lucrative post in the government of India, perhaps making him even a minister in, in the cabinet there is a letter or a telegram that is available uh, written by uh, Maulana Azad uh, to that effect. shedai um, uh, refused. He said, I am a Pakistani more than I am an Indian, and eventually he moved to, um, to Lahore and uh, so on and so forth. He is referred as the uh, Junior Iqbal. So, the Allama Iqbal being Senior Iqbal, Shedai is Junior Iqbal. Seeds of the Ajad Hind Forge were these kind of Islamist tendencies through the leaders I mentioned before, such as Shedai, even before Bose had landed in Germany. Now, after uh, Subhash Bose uh, appeared in Germany to to try to do something bigger, of course Bose had much bigger profile, he was president of Congress party, the biggest party in India. he was far more charismatic, far more um, uh, influential. So we see that after Bose reached Germany, the prisoners of wars would start joining uh, the Ajad Hind uh, uh, far more. But still we see that Bose very clearly mentioning in his speeches and in his writings, if we read carefully um, uh, his uh, documents of the time. The population of Muslims in these prisoners of war camps was far more and there was a reason for that. After the rebellion of 1857 in the Indian Army, British Indian Army, British had consciously reduced the the recruitment from the Hindu majority areas. Earlier, before 1857, for almost uh, a century, British used to traditionally recruit from Uh, what is now Uttar Pradesh or Bihar or Bengal. After 1857, they stopped recruiting so much from these areas. They focused in Punjab, Waziristan, Balochistan, etc. So, according to the estimates, British Indian Army at the time of uh, partition, transfer of power, was almost 50 percent Hindu and 50 percent was non-Hindu, majority of which being uh, Muslims and perhaps two-thirds of that half being Muslim, one-third being Sikhs. I am uh, forced to count six uh, separately here because that is how the uh, British uh, Army records do. Uh, that fact uh, can be seen from so many facts. There is, uh, there is uh, enough records available of the uh, British um, Army officers who uh, give us insights about um, not only this kind of um, this kind of communal population division but also a lot of interesting events uh, that that highlight the motivation of muslims even in british um, indian army uh, many times being um, of what we are very familiar with that islam loyalty to islam being higher than loyalty to any um, other entity anyways Bose uh, mentions uh, in, in his uh, addresses oftentimes almost like appealing to the Muslims of these um, uh, uh, prisoner camps. He would often uh, use the uh, um, kind of uh, rhetoric that uh, um, Muslims would do a great service, these soldiers, Muslim soldiers would do a great service to Islam by joining this Ajad Hind Forge and uh, fighting for removal of British, not for liberation of India, I mean, Bosa's objective is liberation of India, but he is offering these Muslim soldiers of uh, uh, British um, army, prisoner of camps in Germany, that uh, by joining Aja Hind you will do a service to Islam, by throwing out British, you will do a service to Islam, etc. Interestingly, uh, at least in one address, at least in one address that I found in the records of uh, Radio Berlin that he spoke, where he almost like um, is uh, equivocal about Pakistan. He says that Pakistan could be created under a national government, but as long as British are there, Pakistan will not get created. So, Bose is talking language like this and you can imagine um, his compulsions. His compulsions, as I said and I will repeat, was number one, the Indian army was full of Muslims and therefore, these prisoners of wars were full of uh, Muslims. And the motivation of Muslims, no matter how much appeal to the liberation of India, etc., uh, will be lukewarm. But if you motivate them for service to Islam, it will, uh, it will immediately create a connection. So, remember those two things. He would (laughs) boast in some of his speeches from Radio Berlin, interestingly, would criticize Hindu Mahasabha and Akali's very, very bitterly. Not so much um, the Muslim uh, fanaticals. He would, in fact, uh, criticize Jinnah sometimes, but not because he was fanatic, not because he was creating uh, communalism. He would criticize Jinnah Because Jinnah, he would say, was a collaborator of, let's say, capitalists, jamindars, and Jinnah was a collaborator with British who are against Islam. So, he would try to question not the politics of Jinnah, not the uh, sole Muslim spokesman stature of Jinnah. He would question Jinnah on these other side things. And you can imagine why I already mentioned you should be little sympathetic to Bose uh, under the compulsions that he was. Hmm? Now, uh, there was a celebration in Germany um, on 26th of January 1943 where Bose organized the Indians of uh, Germany and uh, nearby places to meet and celebrate uh, what was known as Indian Independence Day. Coincidentally, 26 January. It is nothing to do with uh, the 26 January of later. It is uh, in 1943. You would be surprised who Bose had to choose as the chief guests. Bose invited the same Mufti of Hitler and the ex-prime minister of Iraq, the same fanatical Muslim personalities who I mentioned before, who Benjamin Netanyahu called as the man who inspired Hitler to kill off all the Jews rather than uh, remove them from Europe. He was the chief guest of India's Independence Day in 1943, 26th of January, invited by Bose. And Subhas Bose would appear not in his traditional clothes, military clothes that he would wear not also in the traditional indian clothes which he would often wear but in a sherwani uh, speaking um, in in a language which would seem like um, uh, seem like addressing primarily the muslims than anybody else large part of his speech which is recorded is dedicated to how badly the muslims are placed and uh, how uh, Muslim League etc. are not truly the representatives of Muslims. He would talk about how uh, Muslims and Hindus are um, joining hands together under the Sajad Hind um, for the liberation of common cause etc. Reality was the number of uh, Muslims in POWs, um, as I mentioned, were more Muslims, less Hindus. But if you look at the population, of Hindus and Muslims in the Ajad Hind, at least in the Berlin times when Bose was in Berlin, it was more than 60 to 65 percent Hindus and remaining also were mostly Sikhs. There was less than 15 percent population within Ajad Hind in Germany that was Muslim uh, uh, under Bose. These estimates are available according to the uh, documents of the time. So, what I want to tell you is disproportionate amount of appeals, rhetoric, etc., which was created um, enticing Muslim soldiers to join, whereas it was actually Hindus who were part of the um, sacrifices that Ajad Hind was making. What does it tell us? So, let us pause for a moment in our narrative and draw some some short conclusions. What does it tell us? If we are still not able to clearly see that a Muslim is a Muslim first, then you will keep repeating the mistakes which Bose made, Gandhi made, even political leaders of today make. We need to be absolutely clear and it is not a derogatory statement to make against uh, Muslims. It is not um, Islamophobic or anything like that for Muslims. Islam is the first loyalty. Unfortunately, we, in our uh, outdated model, outdated frame of reference of nationalism, do not realize that frame of thinking of Muslims is different. They are a civilizational citizen of Islam. They be in India, they be in Pakistan, they be in Turkey, they be in Europe. They are civilizational citizens of Islamic civilization. The national, nation-state model of thinking, that frame of reference is outdated. It was already outdated, but now it is very clear that it does not even work anymore. Sooner, Hindus would also get rid of thinking so much uh, how the uh, 19th, 20th century way of thinking was, the better. It is a clash of civilizations, to use the uh, references of uh, Samuel Huntington. Clash of civilization, not clash of nations. You appeal for the um, nationalistic ideas, the other party, the other side does not have nation state as the top priority, for them civilization, which is based on um, um, their their religion, is the framework. You have to realize that. Now, Coming back, other so, so, so many other things which uh, we can see in the history of INA uh, of the time where um, things would be done to placate Islamic sentiment, language being one thing. So the language of um, Ajad Hind was not Hindi. There was uh, in 1930s and uh, especially 1930s, but uh, continuing um, into 1940s. Much debate about uh, what should be the primary means of uh, communication on a common platform at national level and Hindi movement um, was in full swing. Netaji and um, while he was Congress President, but also later more especially when he became the Sipah Salar of Ajad Hind, he chose. Urdu, written in English letters, in Roman letters, as the national language of Ajad-Hind. All the documents, all the uh, communique of uh, Ajad-Hind was done in that language. It was done to placate uh, the Islamic sentiment again. So, the motto that was adopted of Ajad-Hind Fawj was in pure Farsi. It said, Ittifaq, Aitmaad, Kurbani unity, faith and sacrifice. Later uh, in Singapore, the the government that was set up, it was not called um, um, Indian National Government in Exile or something like that. It was called Arzi Hukumate Azad Hind. The commands of the army were replaced, English and normal Hindi commands were replaced with Urdu commands. The title both took. Um, as the supreme commander of this Sajad Hind Forge um, was Sipah Salar. So in all the signatures you see in the documents, he would sign with a seal, Sipah Salar. All the um, decorations that Ajadh Hind Forge created were in Farsi as well, Sardare e jang Viko-Hind, Tamgai Bahaduri, Tamgai Shatrunash, sher hind Shaheed, etc. So, the communique which the army um, units would send to each other, all would be written in almost almost 99% Urdu words, 1% being the remaining native words written in English letters. Again, uh, the newspaper which was published Azad Hind uh, from Singapore, it was published in this kind of language. The uh, national anthem, very importantly, national anthem, um, of course, Vande was out of question. It was a communal song. But even Janagana Mana, noted down, Janagana Mana of uh, Rabindranath Tagore was considered too much communal, it, um, it had too many Sanskrit words. So the uh, 26th uh, January 1943 celebration that I mentioned, often you would read. Um, by many people, um, in, even in the official textbooks and narratives, that the national anthem Janaganamana was sung for the first time on that occasion uh, as the national anthem, the reality is slightly different, it is half-truth. The song was not sung, Bose did not have the song sung, only the tune was played by the orchestra because song had too much Sanskrit, it was communal. How can it be sung? Only the tune was played. So, when you next time hear from any uh, such a narrative that Janagaramana was sung by Bose in Germany uh, in celebrating India, it was not, only tune was played. And then, uh, when uh, Netaji was coming to Singapore um, through the uh, Japanese um, um, ship, it was on that ship that he asked his ADC, um, his name was Abid Ali, Captain Abid Ali, to translate Janaganamana in, in what he called Hindustani, Hindustani being synonym of Urdu basically. Urdu seems communal word, so they used um, euphemism of Hindustani. But whenever you hear Hindustani, Hindustani language is same as Urdu, just they don't want to refer to it as Urdu. Anyways. Um, Rashid Ali translated Janagana Mana um, as um, almost a parody of that song, Sabha Sukha Chain, and that is much touted as a very patriotic song, etc. It is not even a shadow of um, Gurudev Rabindranath Tagore's Janagana Mana. Anyways, um, that was the Komi Tarama. So many other songs. Um قدم, قدم جا, uh, So, Urdu was uh, preferred and again primary compulsion was these Muslims. Anyway, let us move forward. So, just like Ajad-Hind was originally created by Shedai, both reaching in Europe almost took over Ajad-Hind operation. Similarly, on advice of Hitler, both came to... Um, Eastern theatre in Asia, Uh, he reached uh, Singapore, uh, Southeast uh, Asia. And um, here also, this INA, Indian National Army had already been created. You should always remember Netaji, great leader that he was, was not founder of INA. He was leader of INA, he took over INA, INA was already founded some time back. By the effort of Japanese, it's a very glorious history. We have to uh, skip uh, many things in that. But INA was already created. Uh, um, there was an army officer um, from from the British Army, uh, Sardar Mohan Singh, General Mohan Singh later, who was chosen uh, to just like in Europe, um, the prisoners of wars. Uh, were lured into joining the operations against British. Same thing here, under uh, Captain Mohan Singh, later General Mohan Singh, uh, the prisoners of wars were asked to rebel, uh, join Japanese and fight for the freedom of uh, India. If you compare the Nazi operation um, of uh, doing that in Europe and Japanese operation of doing that in, in Singapore, you cannot but feel so sympathetic so inspired and so much admiring of the japanese quite honestly there were unfortunately a lot of distrusts there were a lot of uh, operational challenges why it failed but japanese truly had um, the spirit of uh, asia for asians they had amazing amount of reverence for india respect for india they had uh, Uh, Therefore, started this INA and soon when INA uh, organization started, um, many leaders from um, Malaysia, Thailand, um, Japan, they all came together um, in a series of meetings and conferences. First one took place in Japan, the next one took place in um, Bangkok. And they created um, a whole, not just army, but um, kind of a pseudo-government setup. Under and they t- unanimously chose uh, the great leader Rash Bihari Bose or Rahas Bihari Bose. So, Rahas Bihari Bose was amazingly great leader who uh, had uh, migrated, who was forced to migrate to Japan decades back, who was, had settled down in Japan, and it was he who um, truly had uh, inspired the creation of INA working with Japanese. Anyways, when the Subhas uh, Bose uh, reached uh, Singapore, he took over uh, that uh, Ajad Hind. Um, he named INA uh, as Ajad Hind Forge. Fast forward um, few months, as the operations started, things started, the official narrative that I mentioned earlier, uh, not just narrative, even the impression in the Indian psyche that uh, dhillo Sahagal, Shah Nawaz, the trio, one Sikh, one Hindu, and uh, one Muslim officer. Together, they were tried for treason by the British in the Red Fort of Delhi. And that kind of um, secular nationalism uh, was the picture that was painted, that still is painted, one Muslim, one Sikh, one Hindu, Dillo, Sahagal, Shah Nawaz, trio. And beyond that, unfortunately, we don't even look at the reality. So, if we study the documents of the time, we can very, very clearly understand, number one, the motivation, especially in Singapore, the motivation for the Muslims to join the Ajah Hind So, we will give four documentary evidences which are not mentioned by anybody. They don't, they skip over all these evidences. First evidence I mention is the testimony in court of um, INA officer Captain Abdul Rashid Ali. He was as senior as Dhillo, Sahgal, and Shahnawaz in the British um, Indian Army and in uh, INA as well. Later, when the court-martials happened, when uh, the INA lost and uh, Japanese lost, British uh, recaptured and all these, about 20,000 soldiers of INA, they were not all of them, but they were uh, taken back, uh, they were dismissed from service. But many of them, to make an example, were tried. Especially the officers, they were tried in court-martial and their testimonies, the proceedings, their defense arguments, those are all documented in the archives only if we want to read them. Most of them available openly on internet in the British archives. So, uh, there is this testimony by Captain Abdul Rashid Ali during the court martial in 1946. So, he very clearly uh, states that his objective in joining INA was single folded. He wanted to serve Islam. He says, I wanted to safeguard Indian Muslims from getting dominated by the Hindus and Sikhs of INA. INA was full of Hindus and Sikhs and I thought that they might be victorious, Japan might win because they did have early successes. Burma was captured, they reached all the way to Kohima and northeastern frontiers of course. So I joined INA to safeguard Muslims because dominated by Hindus and Sikhs, if they win, they reach India, they would um, harm the Muslim interests in India. This is a very senior officer of INA, Captain Abdul Rashid Ali, in his recorded court martial statement. There is um, a newspaper report in, um, in a newspaper from Calcutta. It says, reading from a written statement, in a clear ringing voice, Captain Ali declared, I was cut off from the rest of the world and could get only such news as was supplied by the Japanese. I was convinced that the non-Muslims who were the moving spirit in the INA were going to invade India with the help of Japanese. I was also convinced that this would result in the domination of India by non-Muslims helped by the Japanese. Therefore, in order to safeguard the interests of my community, I decided, like the rest of the Muslims, to join the I.N.A. Remember this, Muslim British officers are joining I.N.A. not for liberation of motherland. They are joining for safeguarding the interests of Islam. While the proportion of Muslims in Indian army was significant, proportion of Muslims in INA or Rajadhind Hind was very small in comparison. So, even those Muslims who would join, would join it for either serving the interests of Islam or indeed to subvert INA. In fact, in the testimony of uh, in the court-martial, the testimony of uh, Shah himself, Captain Shah Nawaz, he mentions that I had joined INA before even Bose arrived in Singapore under Mohan uh, uh, Singh, Sardar Mohan Singh, for the explicit purpose, express purpose of sabotaging it. I wanted to sabotage that first INA. And it is later when uh, Suhas Bose came and seeing his character being impressed by his uh, secularism I, my heart changed and I became truly an INA soldier. That is uh, what even he said. There is a lot of uh, Japanese um, records, documents available, especially after 1970s. uh, The the Japanese war documents have become translated and available in English. Uh, There are some interesting books uh, written in recent times. One such book is. Um, about the founder of INA, Rash Bihari Bose, very recently, last year uh, written, these throw light that uh, many of the very senior INA officials. So, for example, um, Lieutenant Colonel Gilani was um, a very senior officer who was was given the charge by Rash Bihari Bose. I am talking before Subhas Bose. Rash Bihari Bose He was part of his cabinet, part of his uh, administrative commission. And he was given the charge of military training of the um, prisoners of war. He was part of the uh, army strategy group as well. And this Gilani was later uh, along with his um, um, uh, other officer, brother officer Mahmud Khan Durrani. They were decorated by British later. For what? for doing the counter espionage by embedding themselves in INA and um, sabotaging it. So, um, you can understand that INA uh, secularism image needs to be seriously questioned. That was first evidence I mentioned. Second, there was another um, witness in the court martial's documents if you go through, there is um, a soldier whose name is Muhammad Hayat, he he clearly mentions why he joined INA uh, with a different pressure. So he said, interestingly, in his court martial testimony that Major Aziz Ahmad, another officer, Muslim officer, he came to our camps. He said that Sikhs and Hindus are complaining that you guys have slaughtered a cow. You captured a cow from the Burmese market and you slaughtered it and they are very angry and they are going to um, murder you. So, all the Muslims, uh, because in the prisoner of war um, uh, camps, uh, we were segregated, we did not know the reality, um, we came under pressure that we need to now join the INA so that uh, we can get arms, otherwise Sikh and uh, Hindu um, INA members, they already are armed our arms are taken away. So, to defend ourselves when they come rioting, we need to have arms as well. So, I joined INA. It tells you how uh, recruiters applied these kind of communal pressures. So, so it does not reflect on so much on this um, witness, but on the major um, (laughs) Aziz Ahmed. Uh, who kind of created this camouflage? In reality, there was no such cow slaughter. In reality, there, there was no, not going to be any communal riot within the uh, ranks. But uh, this uh, officer of INA, Muslim officer, knew the communal buttons he can press because those buttons work. So that's the second. Then. In 1945, just towards the end of the INA's uh, heroic resistance, in Manipur and Burma, there were several um, instances of um, desertion, treachery, sabotage by INA's own officers. So, um, again, much of that is documented, but some of it is skipped. Why those Treacheries were happening, those desertions were happening. So, I read the diary of Colonel P.K. Sahagal, again available only if you want to read. So, Colonel Sahagal was an eyewitness to those treacheries. He was, in fact, sent by Netaji to the ground to investigate as an investigating officer um, about why these treacheries are happening. And in the diary, later, um, Colonel Sehgal writes, three points, I will mention only the first. He says, Turkey's alignment alongside the anti-axis powers has had a very adverse effect on certain Muslim officers. So, um, during the Second World War, Turkey uh, had allied with Germany, just like they had um, even before. So, uh, Turkey looked up to by the Indian Muslims as the um, land of uh, Khalifa, if not uh, de facto Khalifa. The direction politically that Turkey will take, we shall also take, almost like the Communist Party of India saying that Chairman Mao is our chairman as well, whatever the Chinese Communist Party decides is our stand as well. Something similar you can see not just then, even even now. the Once again, civilizational loyalty, civilizational citizenship, not citizenship to a nation state is what the Muslim framework is. You have to understand that, you have to learn from it. Anyway, continuing, in spite of our efforts to explain to them the circumstances under which Turkey has been forced to join the war, the Muslim officers feel that by fighting against them, they are allied with the Turks, Uh, they are being disloyal to Islam. So, they cannot pick up arms against Turkey, by doing that they will become disloyal to Islam. Therefore, they are ditching INA also. Hmm? Then he mentions um, further in his diary, the desertion of one officer, Lieutenant Yasin Khan and so on and so forth that um, it had uh, almost like a cascading effect. Once these leading Muslim officers would desert, it would cause uh, the morale to collapse among the other officers as well. Even if these deserters were in minority, it would have a ripple effect and that is what uh, Captain Seigel says. Hmm. Now this kind of desertions, this kind of rebellion is not new at all. Even around the World War I, when the Khilafat movement, uh, in my previous talk I mentioned uh, briefly about that as well, how in Singapore and also in um, in, um, Europe, the Muslim British officers and soldiers often had rebelled. In Europe, they many times fought, they switched sides tonight and tomorrow started fighting against the British alongside the Turkish forces. In Singapore, too, around the First World War, when Ali Brothers and Khilafat movement was um, at its uh, raging peak, Muslim officers of uh, Baloch regiment, etc., stationed in uh, Singapore, had rebelled. They had killed many of their own brother uh, soldiers, non Muslims and British, and uh, rebelled. So, all of that had happened. And why only go that far? Throughout the history, battle of talikota for example the debacle of uh, vijayanagara the one of the primary reasons was that the muslim soldiers and officers of vijayanagara army deserted they joined the other side the invading side and um, that's nothing new at all if anything we need to learn lessons rather than uh, ignoring these kind of uh, uncomfortable unpalatable facts or ours that be must learn some lessons otherwise if you keep uh, in the same belief that the prior leaders um, uh, belabored, you would also face the same consequences that they did. Another uh, INA officer, uh, now uh, I I should mention a few um, what, what happened after INA collapsed. These Muslim officers who were in INA. Uh, of course, they would not be taken back by the uh, British uh, army. In fact, um, after independence also, the Indian leadership wisely decided never to employ INA folks back into the army. They were never given the arms again. Uh, having all said and done, they had rebelled and um, they had um, been indoctrinated in a certain way. So. It was not wise to take them back into the army ranks, but Jinnah did. Pakistan, uh, again uh, facts which we don't talk about much, Muhammad Ali Jinnah and Muslim League very carefully and wisely, from their perspective, utilized these INA officers. Since they were unemployed, they would become the military advisors. Now, what military is required for Muslim League? You, you know that very well. But these soldiers and these uh, officers, Muslim officers of INA were hired, recruited actively by Muslim League in the so-called youth wing. They would train the Muslim League youth, they would organize camps, they would train them in Punjab, all the way from Punjab to Bengal. And what would these youth do? you know that very well so the whole um, communal violence uh, starting with the direct action day all the way till after partition i'm saying till well after partition there is a much role that was played by these ina officers on muslim league side there is some mention as well that learning from this the akalis especially as well Recruited some of the INA officers, Sikh INA officers, to train Akali Jathas as well in the military rigor. So we see mention of that from Jalandhar, from Ludhiana, other uh, places on the our side of Punjab. That the Sikh INA officers, of course, they were dismissed from service, so they would now become Jathedar's of the Akali um, Jathas. There is also mention that. RSS, RSS may want to forget it, but there is also mentioned that RSS also um, and Hindu Mahasabha for sure openly took help of some of the Hindu INA officers as well to prepare and train Hindu youth too. Um, the Gorkha especially there is a, um, some police reports mention that from Gorakhpur there is correspondence that um, in the Nath head. Uh, Um, uh, headquarters in Gorakhpur, they organized about 200 Gorkha soldiers and officers to go to Punjab um, and elsewhere, stay there for several months. There would be camps which would be two-three month camps which would be organized in uh, mathas or temple premises and uh, Hindu youth, Sikh youth uh, would also learn the military rigour. So, all of that was uh, happening. But I go back uh, once again to few of these important personalities who, after the collapse of INA, helped Jinnah in a significant way. First is Brigadier Habibur Rahman. So, those who know the uh, history of Bose, uh, who have um, read the life uh, history of uh, uh, Netaji, would immediately recall that in the fateful flight in which supposedly Netaji died, I do not know whether he did or not, but in that flight, he had taken one officer with him. So, it was Netaji and um, the other officer. That other officer was Brigadier Habibur Rahman and this Brigadier Habibur Rahman survived. He uh, recuperated, returned to India. And immediately, he joined Muhammad Ali Jinnah. He was the senior most military officer who joined Jinnah. And it was actually after, um, immediately after independence when in 1947-48 Pakistan invaded uh, Kashmir, the head of that operation was Habibur Rahman. Even before that armed invasion, it was Habibur Rahman and Muslim League delegates under his leadership who visited Srinagar, went to meet the Dogra Maharaja Hari Singh to impress upon him to join Pakistan. Leader of that group was Habibur Rahman, same person who was right-hand man of Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose, who was with him physically when the crash um, of that uh, fateful flight happened. So, I am just trying to tell you what kind of personalities were involved in in this uh, jihadis of uh, INA, which is why he called them Jihadis of INA. It was um, Habibur Rahman who organized the Kabylie training camps. So, you could could, uh, see that terrorism of that time uh, was started by this uh, Jihadi of INA, Habibur Rahman. So, there were so many of these, um, these um, INA officers who need mention, but Shah Khan himself uh, deserves some mention. This secularist mindset of leadership, Indian leadership, Hindu leadership, just keeps biting us and we don't even want to learn from it. So, this officer, Shah, uh, Shahnawaz, uh, he was from Rawalpindi, Pakistan. Can you imagine Congress leadership, especially Nehru and other uh, of his uh, kind, they pleaded to him to stay back to India. Rawalpindi is going to Pakistan, but you stay back in India. He said, my whole family is there. He said, no, you stay back. I will make you minister. And indeed, he stayed back. Shahnawaz of this uh, uh, Dhillosh Shahgal Shahnawaz uh, fame, he stayed back. He was made a minister in the Congress cabinet. He served for many years. Surprisingly, when the 1965 war happened, India-Pakistan 1965 war, his own son, Shahnawaz's son, was an officer in the Pakistan Army leading the troops across the border, invading India. And he was a cabinet minister in India in 1965, too. Can you imagine that situation? <laughs> he was uh, he was forced to resign by lot of protests uh, that happened, and he resigned. But uh, th- that that kind of um, craziness, you can imagine, Naman ki asha craziness, you can call it. Whereas the other party is absolutely abundantly clear about their objectives, about their ideology, about um, uh, priorities. We, on the other hand, uh, are um, wishful thinkers who think that simply by uh, nice sounding sentiments and slogans, we can win the hearts, we can change the minds. No, we cannot. You are um, underestimating, perhaps forget, under, you are misunderstanding the frame of reference, the mindset, the whole concept. This whole conflict is not a conflict of um, national nationalism. You cannot say that I am uh, a nationalist and they are Anti Indians, that whole conversation, that whole thought is perhaps invalid. Your frame of reference is invalid. Think beyond the nations. That nation state concept is gone. Even after that, the ideology concept is gone. Those who are familiar with Samuel Huntington's Clash of Civilizations would realize what I am saying. The conflict of nations is finished, it is over. Conflicts of ideologies like uh, nationalism and communism, uh, etc., etc., is also over. Even Hindutva I say, that over. Now, we are in a phase of clash of civilizations. No matter which colors passport you hold, no matter where you live on the globe, what matters is which civilization do you belong to. On this question, Muslims are clear. And I am not bitter about it. I am just telling you, Muslims are clear. They belong to Islamic civilization, which has a religious foundation. One of its pillars is its theology. They are absolutely crystal clear and they are even honest about it, they are transparent about it. Their loyalty is to Islam. They never lie about it. They say my loyalty to Islam. We, on the other hand, counter it with Indian nationalism or Hindutva which is defined in geographic terms. That does not work. Apples and oranges. You need to also elevate, evolve beyond thinking yourself as a nation state or an ideology. You need to think yourself as citizens of a civilization. You may be in Bangladesh, you may be in Afghanistan, you may be in UK, Australia or West or in India. Think in terms of civilizational citizenship. That's uh, perhaps the last thing I would like to say to conclude uh, my talk about jihadis of INA. Namaste. Thank you.
1: It was a wonderful talk and uh, very revealing, very like so many things we didn't know about uh, INA. But uh, like Rasbihari Bose ha- had a background in Calcutta and he did a lot of work before he le- left for Japan. He had to leave for Japan. And even Subhash Chandra Bose and his family, they were deeply Hindu religious families, both of them. They conducted uh, puja, he conducted puja in his college and all that. Uh, so, do you think this using Urdu and with the Muslims and all, do you think that it was a Congress effect or do you think because Bahadursha Zafar was the last ruler, people somehow, all the leaders somehow felt that they had to uh, stick to that kind of feeling uh, to get uh, all the people on board?
0: No, uh, good question and you are absolutely uh, on the spot that uh, Sarat Bose and Subhas Bose, uh, their family, the the, the Bose family were very religious, very committed Hindu. In fact, uh, Netaji Subhas Bose um, was deeply spiritual. He had, right from his childhood, uh, from his youth, uh, been a follower initially of uh, uh, Vedanta. Then he writes himself, he writes in his autobiography that uh, once I… Uh, had difficulty at some point with the uh, Advaita, it did not cause in me um, that I have to now look anything beyond um, Hindu uh, sphere. I found other philosophies that suited my outlook. He was um, even in this INA days in the Southeast Asia. He would uh, often go to the temples and mathas, Um, he would meditate for very, very long hours He was a frequent visitor to uh, some of the temples. He would do Kali Puja before any major political operation. It is said that a small copy of Bhagavad Gita was always on his uh, left chest pocket of his military uniform. He would sleep with um, that under his pillow. He was a very religious Hindu, not only just a passive Hindu even. Uh, In his autobiography, he mentions how he argued with a Jesuit um, Christian missionary and uh, he defeated him in an argument he convinced him about the superiority of shankaras uh, advaita over the hodgepodge of christian theology so uh, you are absolutely right about that even uh, his political guru so political guru of uh, netaji uh, was deshbandhu babu chitranjan das babu chitranjan das himself was a very great uh, hindu as a religious hindu he uh, was renowned for he was very wealthy person he was a barrister top barrister of his time uh, he would donate so much in the hindu causes his haveli uh, in calcutta was always resounding with kirtana uh, if you read the memoirs uh, that are written by him and his friends you'd realize they were all very very deeply committed solid hindus no doubt about that even one iota. I think perhaps uh, the conundrum of this being deeply religious Hindu but still being secular is something that continues even today. The very good Hindus, rooted Hindus, not uh, like the leftist uh, deracinated uh, folks, but deeply rooted Hindus can also be secular in their political outlook in fact um, if we leave emotions aside our reverence and attachment to these um, praiseworthy leaders for a moment aside and be objective about it we would see uh, let's go to for example sindh in sindh around the same time there were uh, great leaders like sadhu aswani and his guru they i mean I'm not going to detail out how great service they did in in so many things, right? Same, Vaswaniji wrote a book about Muhammad and Islam, and in that book he does all the typical whitewashing, all the typical lipapoti um, about Islam. This this uh, conflict. Even Gandhi, for example, do you think Gandhi was not a good Hindu? Gandhi was a solid Hindu. Gandhi was a very good Hindu. But secularism and Hinduism can go hand in hand. Your solid being a Hindu doesn't mean you will not be um, fooled by the secularism. Tilak even, I, I, I have to say Tilak, even before Gandhi, even before um, Das, Tilak in uh, I think 1916, he did a pact with Jinnah in Lucknow, where he conceded um, that yes, we will have select separate um, uh, uh, electorate for Muslims and uh, separate for Hindus. It was Tilak who agreed, not Gandhi. Gandhi had not even appeared on the scene. Lokmanya Shri Balaganga, Tilak. Unfortunately, he agreed. There was no protest. He didn't protest. He agreed. So, uh, you know. Being Hindu does not mean you will not be politically secular. But if you are politically secular, then you will make all these mistakes of misjudging the intentions of uh, Muslims, misjudging um, their uh, priorities and you will make the same mistakes which all our leaders have been making so far. Long answer, um, hopefully that uh, helps.
1: But I also want to ask you that uh, even in 1857, the leaders wanted to fight under Bahadur Shah Zafar flag. So, the Mughal effect was still there.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, fair enough. So, Bahadur Shah, So for, even by the way, British proclamations considered Bahadur Shah Zafar their own head as well. All the military declarations I am talking about, not commercial. All the military declarations, letters, everything. They will start with Khalk Khudaka and all that. Mulk Sarkarka, etc. They even they so they deposed Bahadur Shah Jafar in 57-58. Until then, even British at least used him as a figurehead. So Bahadur Shah Jafar being a figurehead, Marathas used him as figurehead too. Marathas uh, practically had displaced Mughal power in Delhi but they did not physically remove the Mughal seat. But Bahadur Shah Jafar was considered legitimate emperor of India. Even without power, he was considered legitimate emperor of India, not just by the Congress or these people, even by British themselves, even by Marathas, even um, everybody. So, uh, that was the reason why at least for the 1857 um, independence movement. Jafar was used as figurehead.
2: Thank you. We had our um, previous speaker, Arvindji over here for a while and he has left a question. He says, this infiltration thing is long known. Why does this government, why is this government after the sabka bakwas? I can't understand. Anyway, life. So it's a remark, but why is the government after Sapka bakwas? <laughs>
0: on a sen- serious note though um, i think it's 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 a genuine belief that uh, our leadership has always had and still has that um, human nature by default is kind generous it uh, reacts responds to niceties from your side you can win them over by gestures etc Sadly, it has been tried so many times um, and failed that um, if you try it so many more times it will still fail. Unless uh, you think that you are a greater person than Gandhi or Bose who failed in uh, at least uh, uh, giving appeasement to Muslim emotions and winning them over to your side, their loyalty to your side, they failed. right? If you think if your leadership today thinks they are greater men, more visionaries, more charismatic than Gandhi and Bose, maybe they can try again. But uh, my bet would be that it has never worked and it will never work.
2: Uh, Sanjay ji implies the same thing in his book, uh, Unbreaking India. He doesn't say it out so loud, but well.
3: Okay. Uh, siraj ji, it was a fascinating talk. And uh, I don't have a question, but I definitely uh, can you ask. I mean, uh, say one or two small points in support of whatever you have said, Siraj
0: Kindly, sir, please. Oh. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, this point you talked of uh, Brigadier Habibu Rahman uh, being an adv- military advisor to China. Uh, this, uh, this is confirmed by Akbar Khan. Brigadier Akbar Khan who was then a major. When he went into, uh, when he got hold of these uh, lashkars from Afghanistan and the Frontier Province, he also takes his name. And what would you have said is confirmed. Second, I have also heard that Rash Bihari Bose and Chittaranjan Das were uh, very much in favor of this Khilafat movement by Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, I don't know if it is really true, because this particular statement was made by a speaker some time back that Raj Bihari and Das were very much in favour of the Movement and supported Gandhi in this. Is it true? Hindustani, well in the early 60s I remember Hindustani as we call it, now you said it is a slightly uh, Indianized form of Urdu, was very much prevalent in the army and all of our initial uh, books on weapon training and all that I still remember used to be in that uh, Roman Hindustani. And uh, it was the normal, standard, uh, accepted material for us as cadets to read, and from the Jawans also, just for
0: information. Thank no. you. No, th- Thank you, sir. So um, thank you for confirming uh, Habibur Rahman's involvement. Um, I have found some documents which uh, uh, detail it out. Uh, It's uh, surprising that uh, he was in fact interviewed by many of the later commissions which were um, set up by the government of India to investigate into the disappearance uh, slash death of uh, Netaji. And uh, Habibur Rahman would be one person who was almost always interviewed in Pakistan. Uh, But thank you for confirming his collaboration uh, with Jinnah around the Kashmir invasion, Kabaili training, etc. The second point uh, you uh, mentioned was about Khilafat movement. So Sarat Bose, uh, perhaps not Rash Bihari Bose, Sarat Bose for sure was uh, solidly with Gandhi in Khilafat movement. But more than him, actually it was uh, the brainchild more or less of um, uh, Babu Chitranjandas that Congress should put its whole weight behind Khilafat movement. It was his brainchild, not Gandhi's. Gandhi, uh, sure, Gandhi um, was the poster boy. He uh, was charismatic and he took the leadership. But tactically, behind the screens, it was this barrister Babu Chitranjan Das whose idea it was that let us now suspend all other activity, put our energies into Khilafat movement. He had even before Khilafat movement, actually, um, it was he. Chitranjan Das, who had uh, created so-called uh, Hindu-Muslim Pact of Calcutta, where he said that all the districts in Bengal, uh, back then undivided Bengal, uh, where Muslims were uh, more than a certain percentage, they would be given a certain seats and so on uh, in the government jobs. So this this uh, whole secularism was deeply ingrained in Babuji's Babu Chitranjan Das's. Uh, politics since beginning. And Bose, both, so not Rash Bihari, Sharath Chandra Bose and Subhash Chandra Bose, the two brothers, they were his disciples. Rash Bihari was a far more senior person. Uh, Rash Bihari was a revolutionary who uh, had to leave India uh, after 19, I think, 13 or so. He uh, He threw a bomb at the Viceroy, um, uh, I think in 19, 10, 11, sometime like that. Um, it was a successful, a very successful from the inspiration standpoint. The Raj Bihari was never even captured by British. So he, he did that, then he went to Kashi, he lived in Kashi, he could not um, go back to Bengal too, too much. He went back to Banaras, he set up himself there, he trained a few revolutionaries and then he disappeared, he eventually went to Japan, he settled down there. He was in constant touch, uh, especially after Savarkar came out of prison. He was in touch with um, Savarkar in correspondence with him. Uh, Rash Bihari even set up Hindu Mahasabha, the international chapter in Southeast Asia. He set up Hindu Mahasabha. He was um, the Gadar party that was Hindu-German revolutionaries or the Gadar party which happened in uh, 1915 around that time, uh, headquartered in California. Uh, Rush Bihari Bose was inspiration for that, at that time he was in, um, already in Japan. So, Japan being closer from time zone standpoint and correspondence standpoint uh, was uh, prime motivation behind that Gadar party and especially the so called Hindu-German conspiracy as the British call it, where uh, he procured um, and helped the revolutionaries in India procure um, good quality ammunitions etc., from Germany. Uh, so all of that was Rashbihari Bose. I have to go back and check what was his stand on Khilafat. But I would be very surprised if he supported Khilafat. But definitely Sharat Bose and Subhash Bose, along with their Guruji, uh, that is uh, Jandas, they were prime movers um, in, in in Khilafat. And uh, third one, sir, uh, Hindustani, uh, you are right. So. Um, the British Indian Army, as the East India Company time itself, when they set up their, um, their uh, uh, small units in Bengal, etc., Bengal infantry was the first one that they had created. Uh, of course, they had a very small number of uh, British officers, they recruited locally. Uh, now, the communication language, if you uh, go back to uh, late 1700s, early 1800s, the preferred communication. Uh, the language which the british uh, um, army found useful was urdu language it was not called urdu they called it hindustani uh, so if you look at the army uh, dictionaries etc that were created by east india company and then um, calcutta college um, etc that they founded uh, the ics officers even so what we call ias was called ics back then so, the Britishers who used to get uh, successful in that exam, uh, they became district magistrates, collectors, etc. in India, young uh, 20-something folks. They would be trained in Indian language. They have to come here uh, with some basic, uh, basic uh, communication skill. So, the language that they were taught was uh, what you can call Urdu. The terminology was 100% Urdu only, but they did not call it Urdu. They called it Hindustani. So I'm not surprised that even Indian Army continued that legacy. But uh, nowadays, however, sir, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I see a lot of uh, commands, especially in the border security forces, police um, forces of different states like UP police. I'm uh, have seen it. The commands are more Hindi, Sanskrit kind of commands. Uh, not so much, uh, you know, Urdu words as prevalent in those commands now. Sir, I have a
2: point to add. I think it was Farsi initially for all uh, official work and when the British were here and for a long time even after that Indian army continued in Farsi and so much so that even in Calcutta, West Bengal, the um, government officers had to learn Farsi and communicate in Farsi, not Urdu so much.
0: No, no. So, it was just the transition time. So, um, Farsi was the court language uh, of the Mughal court, right? Um, Up to around 1800, Farsi was the… Uh, your absolute right. Farsi was what is English today, okay. That was Farsi, so not just uh, so, don't think it was just Muslims, even Hindus, Kayasthas, Brahmins who will do the uh, clerical or court um, jobs, they would all learn Farsi. So, people, um, Farsi was well known actually. So, um, people like Raja Ram Mohan Roy, for example, he was a Farsi scholar as well, he knew Farsi very well. Uh, a lot of uh, um, Hindus would would uh, be farsi scholars
2: and for a long time it continued as in england with french and english urdu was still a common man's language so much so that even in 1800s poets like neer and Ghalib uh, wrote ke to urdu hai. like urdu was kind of you know common man's language farsi was more elite
1: uh, my question is that uh, i was just reading a few uh british and as well as indian uh, books that stated that when mangal pande uh, revolted against the britishers uh, regarding the cartridge issues then uh, when he was uh, you know attacking the british officer there was a co sepoy of his uh, named sheik paltu so he was the one who jumped on mangal pande and then he held him down and that's how he got arrested uh, so my question here is that that uh, put up a question in my mind Was this the reason later on that Bahadur Shah Zafar was chosen as the king uh, during the 1857 war because they wanted to placate the Islam angle and get the Muslim soldiers in the army towards their uh, side?
0: Partly correct. Uh, Some of this was calculated um, and articulate um, well thought out um, process in their mind especially Nanaji, etc., uh, who were actually more powerful than Bahadur Shah, why would they choose Bahadur Shah as their, their uh, supreme leader? So, part of the calculation was this only, that uh, if you uh, do not choose him as the Sultan, as the uh, overall emperor, then the Muslim presence uh, in the army, that portion of the army would be against you. And even general populace would rise up against you. That was at least their calculation. Right or wrong is a different thing. But that was possibly their calculation in keeping Bahadur Shah Jafar as it is. But there are more reasons than that in keeping Bahadur Shah Jafar uh, as the figurehead beyond this also. Um, I think uh, one was, like I said, legitimacy. So, uh, you may perhaps find it hard to imagine. The mindset of uh, those times. But it was considered uh, even by Marathas, by Rajputs, others that it is a sacred seat of power. It is a legitimate um, empire. And uh, even though you might fight with it, even though you might uh, tussle with it and uh, negotiate with it, gain uh, and reach powers from it, you should not dismantle it. Am, there, there is a lot more to be said there. Um, That is perhaps just a caricature of a thought. Uh, There may be some superstition also involved here. Nobody, uh, no Hindu had uh, truly been successful on the seat of Delhi, even uh, the uh, great uh, Prithviraj. So uh, there is some superstition involved as well in ruling from Delhi, being the emperor in Delhi. I mean when he was, uh, when when he took the seat uh, of his uh, grandfather, maternal grandfather. You see, he became the last king when the other Hindu Hemchandra Vikramaditya, after defeating the early Mughals, he crowned himself Samrat Vikramaditya in Delhi. Uh, What happened to uh, Hemu? You you know that. So there might be some superstition as well in the minds. Let these people be just as a puppet, just as a figurehead, while the real power anyway will be with us. So um, many reasons involved there, Tanya ji.
1: Service uh in the beginning you said that uh, RC Majumdar has uh, quoted that INA, before INA, the uh, freedom movement had almost uh, come to a standstill. Uh, what about Jugantar and Anushilan? Those were the, in Bengal because the British came here like 100 years before they went to Delhi. Uh, the uh, freedom movement was very much thriving at that time. That is correct. Could you comment on
0: that? No, absolutely right. So, um, it's, um, it's a very glorious age of uh, Indian history that starting with 1890s, Okay, that's when I call it the uh, revival of um, uh, Hindu national spirit, Indian national spirit peaking at around 1915, so these 25 years. From eighteen ninety to nineteen fifteen, are revolutionary years. Revolutionary, not just in political sense, uh, in uh, cultural, literary, art, every field. Hmm? So you are absolutely right. Yugantar Samiti, um, Anushilan Samiti, all these, and then inspired by them outside Bengal also. Uh, you see, Punjab, Maharashtra, and uh, uh, UP. Uh, There were so many revolutionaries that were doing their work, the whole of 1910s, 20s and up to the middle of 1930s with uh, Bhagat Singh and then Chandrasekhar Azad and and, uh, uh, before that Ram Prasad Bismil, before that Khudi Ram Bose. This whole about about, uh, 15 to 20 years of uh, revolutionary activity was absolutely amazingly successful, no doubt about that. This is what had shaken a uh, British to begin with, and in some some crooked way, this is what had also given rise to Gandhi's popularity. Mm, seeing that okay, if you don't give an alternative to the Indians uh, of expressing their politics, they will these revolutionaries will only go from strength to strength. So uh, while not undermining the superior intelligence network and brilliance that the British had, British police had, okay, do not undermine that. And the kind of uh, uh, kind of dharmita uh, uh, that the British had to rule, hmm, do not undermine that. But perhaps giving, um, giving more limelight to Gandhi and his politics was perhaps a calculated move by the British uh, to undermine the uh, popularity of uh, these revolutionaries. Yeah, you are right. But uh, come to 1942, 1942 is when the Quit India Movement happened. After Quit India Movement, everything was quiet, there was nothing, Gandhi was left with nothing. The um, outside of textbooks of your school, if you, of our school, if you look at the newspapers, if you look at the things which were happening at that time, it was all about uh, Pakistan creation or opposing it. It was all about um, what will happen after independence, uh, what is happening, World War II after uh, effects, all of that. There was uh, this um, famine and and, and, uh, there was a lot of other things. But independence movement was over, finished. Gandhi was not doing anything after 1942. Therefore, Majumdar says that after 1942, independence movement was done. After that, it is INA which really once again aroused Indians. 1943, 44, 45, it was INA, technology was available, every um, uh, um, city corner had radio, you had a lot of um, people who had returned from abroad, there was a lot of uh, uh, expatriate population that had come back to India and they would, uh, um, there would be colleges, there would be uh, conversations um, everywhere. So, uh, after 1942, truly the independence movement was more or less led by INA. That is what uh, R.C. Majumdar meant there.
1: Could you please uh, uh, give name of some good books by uh, historians that uh, we, would, uh, we can go through regarding these? Uh,
0: regarding uh, INA history?
1: Can, uh, not INA, the independence movement, uh, the later independence movement.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of work done, especially by Professor R.C. Majumdar and his team. So, interesting to mention that uh, in 1957, after independence, um, in 1957, uh, just couple of years before 57, uh, R.C. Majumdar, who was at that time the head of uh, Indian Council of Historical Research, he was Professor of History, perhaps um, the best historian Indians have produced in last uh, 200 years, let's say. He approached the government of India uh, that uh, 1857's centenary is coming, couple of years from now, so we should uh, collaborate across the universities of India and rewrite the history of the independence movement. And they started writing. So. Um, about 20 universities collaborated under his leadership uh, ranging from banaras hindu university to osmania university to delhi university etc the history departments they started working together and uh, very detailed regional local narratives of the independence movement every not just state every city how they contributed who were the personalities that level of detail when the reports were prepared Uh, the first volume, second volume started coming, the Ministry of um, um, Human uh, Development led by Maulana Abul Kalam Azad, they curtailed that effect. The whole effort was thrown into the water. They said we are not going to publish these. And later, so book publishing was not cheap, it it requires money. So, later, um, the wife of uh, late uh, Professor R. C. Majumdar writes, in one of those first editions of a book that he wrote, History of the Independence Movement of India. The, in the introduction and preface, the wife uh, writes uh, how with difficulty, once the government refused, uh, Professor Majumdar completed the work himself and published it at his own cost. Okay, So, Professor Majumdar's, if you want to read one book only, then perhaps Professor Majumdar's work would be that. There were other books also. Uh, I should give credit to uh, Sayyid Atahar Abbas Rizvi as well, earlier of Aligarh Muslim University. Although being from a um, Aligarh Muslim University, he is very unbiased, very honest, upright historian. He wrote um, uh, works about the independence movement as well. And he openly bears some of the jihadi details of the independence movement. He's not. He's he's not ashamed of mentioning them. So, um, especially uh, independence movement in the United Provinces. I think that's the title. That's a good book as well. There are other books. Um, um, Savarkar's book um, about independence movement of eighteen fifty seven is still a monument. You're unmuted now. Uh, he is not as
3: much. A, uh, but I'm surprised that
0: uh,
3: that people think why are the muslim uh, being upgraded in so far as martial qualities are concerned but uh, i just want to say this much that this has been the practice from the day of days of uh, muhammad when he says movements are as good as 10, ten kufra and uh, recently when you read the uh, books of generals from pakistan like ayub khan friends not masters he talks of uh, Hindus as Baniyas. You know, Indians are basically termed as Baniyas and who will fall the moment you give them a little push. Bhutto said something about teaching these Hindu bastards the lesson, now that we have got atomic weapons. Yaya can used use similar language that Hindus were very poor soldiers and could be pushed around in no time. Musharraf had no different uh, opinions either. So, right through the history it has been coming that a Muslim is a better soldier than a Hindu and therefore I am not surprised if uh, people even today think that a that Muslim is better at wielding a weapon than a soft Hindu. And the experience of our political uh, big weeks confirms this view that it is still the view of the general public that a Muslim is a better soldier than a Hindu. That is what it is. That is from my way of looking at it. Thank
0: you. I agree agree with you, uh, sir. I think uh, you have uh, very rightly articulated that um, impression, uh, of course wrong, but that impression uh, remains uh, in the powers that be even today.
2: So, Sarveshji, if you get tired, please let me know. But there is a last two questions. Uh, one is, uh, why did the British not uh, trust Habibur Rahman's statement as he was the sole eyewitness of Tetaji's death?
0: Which statement they did not trust? I did not
2: Like they did not trust uh, that he had died in Taipei. In yeah,
0: they had they, they had reasons not to trust him. right? He was, first of all, um, he was a deserter he had uh, rebelled against the uh, their own employer the british indian army so there is no reason for them to trust him and the other uh, was that again that's a different topic about netaji's disappearance and all but there was a very common belief it was not just government but even people believed that it was um, uh, it was just a feigned death it was not a real death uh, and netaji had done that to buy some time He has disappeared with lot of money and uh, resources. He will strike back, come back, etc. That was a common belief. So, perhaps, um, uh, you know, British also believe that. Thank you. Namaste. Thanks for your patience.